0: hello and welcome to the no good poetry podcast each week we talk about the good the bad and the ugly of poetry this is episode 36 with
1: joseph marcos and
0: joseph b Avenue.
1: this is the good bad and the ugly isn't it some ugly shit out there kids let's make the world stiff for poetry
0: Alright, so today we are on Art Street.
1: Yeah, different location. Because we're going to
0: watch movies today. And we have with us today special guest and past guest, David Moss, Hello. from
2: the Parking Lot Poetry Podcast. So, what Joe, could you please give me a little bit of background, <laughs> if you don't mind, giving me a little bit of background on Alfred Leslie before we watch these films.
0: Yeah, so we're going to watch two... Uh, Poetry related shorts today. So, Alfred Leslie was primarily a painter, right? He was. He started out as an abstract expressionist painter, although he was one of the ones who kind of moved into realist paintings, especially portraits, kind of first. And he was definitely palling around with those abstract expressionist artists and the New York school poets at the time. And particularly, he collaborated with Frank O'Hara a lot. I think he. At the time. I was actually watching recently a little clip of Frank O'Hara from public television that was on YouTube, and Alfred Leslie was in that. They were actually at Alfred Leslie's studio working together, because uh, they were working on a play for the Poets' Theater at the time, and this was like right before before Frank uh, died. But they also collaborated on one of the films we're going to watch, uh, Last Clean Shirt. And then... The other film we're going to watch is Pull My Daisy, which is kind of like the quintessential beat film of the time. But apparently, despite being primarily a painter, he kind of had a background in film. And particularly, there was this group... I had never really heard of this before, but there were these guys, Jonas and Adelphos Mikas. Has anyone okay. heard of them? No. I hadn't heard of them either. But they they worked for some big film magazine at the time... I think they were the editors for it, but they decided to start this group of filmmakers and kind of gather all these people who were doing kind of work that they were interested in and make this collective called the New American Cinema, where their idea was just to kind of make smaller personal films cool. uh, and use, like, lower-tech equipment. Sounds um, like a lot
1: what goes on today, same stuff.
0: Yeah. In many circles. Yeah, but this was in the, the, the late 50s, early 60s. Cool. So... It's kind of neat. So, I mean, that's kind of the aesthetic that I think they were going for in these films. And we can talk more specifically after we watch the two of these. So I think probably the one we're going to watch first is Pull My Daisy, because that's the earlier of the two. Um, I think that one was in 1959. This came came out in. And there's a little bit of a dispute on this one, because... Alfred Leslie co-directed this one with Robert Frank, who was a photographer, who never really did any other film stuff. Some people kind of say Robert Frank more directed it. Some people say that Alfred Leslie Moore directed it. Some people say they kind of both were involved. But we're going to kind of – I think we're going to watch this one first. And this has all our various beat writers in it that we're probably familiar with. We've got uh, Gregory Corso in it. We've got Allen Ginsberg in it. Cool. Um, and yeah, yeah. Kerouac is narrating. Yep. So, let's we're going to go ahead and watch that and then we will come back and talk about Pull My Daisy. Okay. So,
1: what do we what do we think? Well, that's I mean it's classic, you know. I think what's What's interesting about this, I mean, I hate to use the word interesting, but we go back to this, this was made in what? We're talking about Pull My Daisy now. It was made in what year? 1959. 1959, right? So, I mean, is Art House even a thing yet? Not really. Or is it a thing unknowingly?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there were maybe some attempts at playing with this idea, but yeah, I mean, there wasn't much...
1: Couple couple cameras, pretty simple angles, fun little shit, it's just like, you know, it's like all the boys, Kerouac isn't even in it, he's narrating, he's pretty funny, it's almost like, it feels to me like they made the movie, and they shot it, and maybe they did a rough cut or whatever, and then like Kerouac just like told a story over the top of it. I don't know, because it's pretty, it seems like some of it's maybe written, but some of it's kind of ad-libbed, and... It's pretty funny, you know, as far as like him just dropping in sort of like these ad libs and just telling what they're saying. I mean, I don't know if the if
0: the if it was even written. Do you think like Kerouac like, wrote the movie? Well, um, you know, when it first came out and was shown, people made a lot of the fact that it of it being improvised and kinda of praised that about it. And I don't know. It, it seemed when I was reading about it, it seemed like some people still kind of see it that way. But in the like much later, like in '68, I think the Village Voice did an article about it, and they interviewed Alfred Leslie. Cool, and he said everything was scripted and blocked and rehearsed wow. ahead of time, and that even the even the Kerouac narration was written out and planned, and they did three takes of the narration.
1: Wow, okay, so they did three different versions of it, and then they or his audio, and then they must have watched it and seen how it worked, it played out.
2: It probably would have fit better, or been synced better, if they'd edited the picture and then just improvised just that. But if you know, it, feels, yeah. it feels a little disjointed, that's probably because they did write it out.
1: I kind of like that about it, though. There was something about that that I kind of dug.
0: I mean, I like it. To a certain extent, but it maybe wears thin. Like, I think in the beginning it's amusing and enjoyable, but some of it kind of wears a little thin but as yeah. you get further
2: into it. Yeah. Were they trying to keep up with what was going on in France at the time with the new wave over there, or no? I think this is just a little project. doesn't seem like it's like... Well, I think, you know, like, in some ways I think, like, the B generation is kind of a uh, answer to the French New Wave. Yeah, I mean, um, I wonder how
0: much they were aware of that, and I wonder. I mean, there do, does seem to be elements of that there, but I certainly never heard any of them talking
2: about that. Uh, well, much like the first time I saw a Jean-Luc Godard film, I dozed off at the end, just like <laughs> I did with this short film.
0: But I do think, regardless of they were if they were consciously imitating the new wave or not, I think um, it, it's kind of the same thing, right? A lot of this is a reaction to the kind of movies that exist, right? And sort of making fun of the melodramatic situations of movies at the time, right? Is like a lot of what's happening.
1: That I mean, it is it is that, but like it's also it's also like. I mean, I look at this as just, like, them all just, like, fooling around. You know? It's like they had a camera and some film, and they're like, let's shoot a movie. But it's not even a movie. It's, like, 26 minutes. It's just, like...
0: Yeah, well, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, it does give you that feeling of that. And I don't know. And I think that's what a lot of people thought. But it's interesting that later on, Alfred Leslie was like, no, this was planned out. This wasn't. Because I found other things earlier, before he gave that interview, where people were talking about, oh... You know, they were just barely, like, tolerating the actors. They weren't really directing them and just kind of letting them do stuff. But... No, it seemed like they had direction. But I don't know. Um, But, I mean, at least according to Leslie, this was planned out. It wasn't... Yeah. You know. And maybe there was still improvisation within that. I don't know. But, uh... I don't know how you would script some of that.
1: No, I just think they set them up in little shots, and, little, and, and shot these little scenes, you know?
0: What do we think of it as a... Well, two things I'd like to talk about. I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, and I mean, obviously we have to consider the limitations, but what do we think of it as, like, a visual medium... And then also, what do we think of it as some sort of, like, statement of poetics, or sp- particularly, like... I mean, because I think that's certainly an element of it, especially as far as what the Beats thought of poetics here. I don't know which of those to address first, but...
2: Well, it obviously feels like it's trying to be improvisational and, you know, kind of like a slice of life. You know, maybe aspirations of pseudo-cinema verite there, but it's obvious that I think they were... You know, working with some kind of budgetary, con, you know, constraints, but also in a smart way to just shoot the, the film, you know, the visual aspect of it one way, edit that together, and then the, all of the sound is pretty much just Kerouac's, I guess you're saying it's not impro, improvisation, but carowax you know, his narration of it with a few kind of, you know, sound effects. I think there's what like, a baby's voice in there at a certain point. But, I mean, it's... it's it's. And the
0: music, and then we get the tinkling of the... There's a bunch of little things. Of there's the absolutely chandelier.
2: no live sound from yeah. the recording no, no, of, no, the right, yeah. of the movie used in the soundtrack. No, maybe the hockey of the hockey.
0: Which, the I mean, I don't know. It may be that their cameras didn't even have...
2: Right, they, yeah, capability. they may not have had, yeah, <laughs> been able to record sound there or chosen not to or because of budget or whatever, logistics. But, um, yeah, so that took me back to being in film school for a minute, for sure. But, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it's, it it felt, it felt like it, it could have been fresh, very fresh and cool at the time.
0: Yeah. Well, there's elements that, like, get interesting, right? Like, I like the moment where there's all the, it just sort of, gets a little nonsensy and picks up, and you've got Larry Rivers dancing in the mirror, and there's not, you know, it doesn't really...
2: It's probably most limited by the fact that it tends to stay in this one general location for most of the movie, to be honest with you. Like, the kind of free-form vibe it have might have been nicer if it had been, say, outdoors or, you know, kind of moving around. Yeah, Possibly.
0: Almost, you know. I actually think the the I almost wish, and I think it was supposed to be based on some real scenario in Neil Cassidy's life. Of this time, they invited some important religious person to dinner, oh. um, and all these poets were there, and they ended up acting you with crazy questions. and ruined yeah. the whole thing. But I kind of feel like I like it better when it doesn't have anything to do with the bishop. I kind of feel like that it's a little bit like they just wanted something to happen in it. They weren't didn't trust it to just be...
2: They needed something to base around, like the bishop coming to dinner.
0: Yeah, where maybe... I actually kind of like the beginning more before that ever happens, where it's just...
2: Unfolding, you don't know what's The poet showing happening, up yeah. and
0: goofing around.
1: Sure, and I thought about the bishop thing, and I kind of thought like it was like a, a metaphor for something, honestly. Like the bishop coming to dinner. You know, I kind of thought it was like...
0: What do you think they were going for there? I, mean, I, don't, know. I don't know. I think,
1: like, because I say something like, you know, you can say, like, preaching to the choir, but you can also say, like, preaching to the bishop, which is, like, you're not even preaching to the choir, you're, like, preaching, but you're, like, telling the guy who should be preaching, you're preaching to the guy who should be preaching, you know? So it's, like, it's, like, the bishop's coming to dinner. I kind of, like, look at that, like, it's, like, oh, somebody's fancy friends, like, the girl's fancy friends coming to dinner, And, like, we have to put something
0: on for them, you know? And, like, the husband's just
1: like, well, it's just another person.
0: Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, I don't know. But I think a lot of that's just to create a contrast between these poets who are, like, outcasts of society, or at least they see themselves as such, versus this upstanding upstanding member of society. Although, I don't
2: know what kind of bishop he's supposed to be. Yeah,
1: exactly. He's pretty young (laughs) for a bishop. And he's dressed
2: in
0: a (laughs) strange...
2: placeholder figurehead of the bishop
0: coming to dinner. But, I mean, and that part does seem a little forced of an idea, right? And I kind of like the other aspects of it more than that. And I mean, really, there just needed any situation to have an excuse to kind of have some interesting kind of things you wouldn't normally see and some kind of funny semi-poetic narration on top of it, right? Which sometimes worked better than others, but... You know, it certainly had moments of being nice.
2: It definitely treated Allen Ginsberg like it... You know, they knew they had a big fish star.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I really kind of feel like they were almost hindered by the trying to make it have a movie structure. And, like, they were trying to make fun of it as they did it. Yes, that was evident. But I don't think it was enough to make that Okay. Exactly.
2: No, it kind of wasn't experimental enough, it wasn't self-parody enough, it wasn't, you know... It's in a
0: really weird in-between space. Right. I mean, there's things I like about it. And I don't know, maybe, I think maybe a lot of those things would have seemed much more edgy at the time. I mean, I don't know, even just them smoking a joint
2: on film was probably... A big deal, and part of the reason people wanted to book it at certain little... Yeah. ...venues (laughs) or whatever they were doing back then. Micro-cinemas or... And, I mean, it
0: is 1959 compared to what else was going on what film-wise were the micro in America.
2: Where was this shown, do you know? I mean, it's it's kind of an odd link that obviously wasn't shown in theaters. Was this? Um,
0: let's see, I think I do have that in here somewhere.
2: I'm wondering about the underground cinema scene of the 60s now as far as venues and places to watch movies. Maybe some shady place where you could...
0: Yeah, I mean, strangely for this one, I don't seem to have any information about where it was originally, f- originally shown.
2: You know, I'm wondering how, like, how it got its reputation. Was it just shown amongst you know kind of art houses in New York? Was it shown at you know, when I say art houses, I mean like unconventional art venues and, and poetry readings, or was it shown in art house film theaters? Or you know, I, I don't know what the film festival scene even was back then. I, I don't know how you have to go back and to find a number of American film festivals I know yeah I wonder that's a good question um Sunday started I think in the late 70s early 80s Khan might have been going... and I kind point. of
0: suspect that it probably took time for it to get out there I mean it's interesting that they were doing an interview in Village Voice about it in 1968 yeah right like 10 years later almost yeah nine years later you're but it's you know it's you know, before
2: the VHS era, so it's not like something like this could just spread by. But is this, is this something
0: that kind of became like a little cult classic in certain? Circles? Yeah, I think I so. But it, and, and probably part of it was because of who was in it,
2: right? Of course. Um, and, and it might you know and it might have gotten bootlegged at a certain point. I mean you know exhibition was kind of crazy at a certain point back then. If if it was.
0: But now I'm just looking to his quotes about it again too, and he said that it was a it was a. They worked from the script, preceding two minutes of text per day, and they shot 30 hours.
2: Two minutes a day, so they spent 50 days on this, and I'm
0: Two minutes of text per day, whatever days, that's supposed sorry. to mean. And that they shot 30 hours and cut it down to that. Wow. That seems excessive. That's almost unbelievable. That's excessive. That's... That does not look like thirty hours of footage. Well, why, do, why wouldn't
2: I'm you sorry. make a, a full length? Are they film? saying that they spent thirteen days making it? Am I doing that equation right? Minutes a day? even thirteen days seems very long for this particular movie. This honestly seems like it was done in a Saturday, written on a Friday evening. While this is a forty-eight hour film fest thing,
0: but
1: I almost, oh
2: yeah,
0: I almost <laughs> wonder if I almost wonder if Leslie was fucking with people.
1: Yeah, I, you know, when you were talking about that and talking about how Leslie, like, says, well, no, it's all scripted out, it was this and this, it almost seems like he's lying to people. That was my immediate thought was, like, is he just creating, like, more of a narrative behind the whole thing, and they did it, just like David's saying, like, they just ripped it off in, like, one weekend and had fun and, like, did it? They're with trying couple, to
2: make a, a better backstory setups? to totally. validate it. Well, and not just a
0: better backstory, but I mean, because of the whole beat aesthetic being about improvisation and everything, that's what everyone was talking about. So mm-hmm. and then later to come back and be like, no! We right. scripted this all out and we spent as much time shooting this as you would on Five
2: the years, movie. one day a yeah, week. No way.
0: I don't know, that's We're interesting. are
2: in the same wardrobe.
1: Yeah, it's just weird.
0: But there are nice, like, kind of documentary aspects of it, too, like I mean, I was just looking at those windows. I was like, this is like a poor apartment in New York at the time. Those windows were huge!
1: Yeah, they were. They were like giant
0: ceilings, floor-to-ceiling windows looking out onto the street. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a beautiful apartment, although... It's Slumming a little, it up. You know?
1: They, uh, yeah, they clearly had a nice spot to shoot, you know?
0: I don't know. It's an interesting one. I actually think... I like this the less of the the less of the two that we're going to watch, although it's probably better produced. Uh, I don't quite like it as much. And I don't know. There's this whole aspect of right. So the other director, Robert Frank, was a, a quite famous photographer, right? So I think there was a lot of kind of made of the framing of the shots. Mm. Because of that, some of which I think I, I can kind of see were, were interesting the way things were framed, especially if you compare it to like a, a more Hollywood movie of the time. I don't know. What did you think about that, David?
2: Uh, the style didn't particularly impress me. To be honest with you, it seemed like it was just done for practical purposes. I mean, yeah. being stuck in the one location. So, but it was. I mean, it was. Still I think a lot
0: was made of the fact too that they. A couple times they had
2: those 360. Oh, the kind of yeah, there were yeah. some pan. I mean, there was there was a technical proficiency to it. I mean, it wasn't so it, it was, you know, there's definitely a level of roughness that could be unwatchable, and this was very far from that. Yeah, yeah. There were obviously some people that were skilled at the craft of filmmaking involved in this. This was not just a total lark by some poets to try to grab a photographer and make a film.
0: And I mean, I could see I this being useful propaganda. I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way, but useful propaganda for the beat writers, right? Because you know, you are some of that stuff, and, and maybe that's part of the problem with watching it now. Some of the, the Kerouac narration to us seems a little old hat. But, but it's if you 1959. Hadn't, yeah, and if you hadn't read any of that stuff, and that was unfamiliar to you, that would have... Probably seemed pretty exciting, right? And there's moments of it that are still, you know, pretty funny. I, I you know, I was amused at the point where he goes off on the cockroach thing forever, and he's like melted cheese cockroach. <laughs> so you know that even now that's still pretty funny. And then you know, I think if you were in a situation where you're not exposed to that sort of wild association uh, and association that allowed for things that were somewhat taboo or seemed to be. You know, not polite things to say in polite company. Uh, that that probably would have would have been a interesting thing, right? Where maybe it's it's hard to see that in the same way now.
2: I could definitely see it sparking an interest in the B generation if it was your first introduction.
0: And they come off as like kind of little lovable goofballs in a way.
1: They do, totally do.
0: Yeah, and this, like, defines,
1: I think this, like, this era, this movie just, like, kind of defines, this little film defines, like, an interesting era of, like, you know, it's nothing like Beckett's films, or, like, those, you know, those weird, surrealist kind of, like, style films, it's, like, it's, like, a slice of life, you know, like, you said, David, but it's just, like, this cool,
0: charming, like, hey, these are the
1: boys, you know, kind of, these are the guys.
0: And it's a little weird, but it's not that confrontational. It's kind of like a friendly sort of weird, if anything, right? Which I think is going to be a little bit different from the second Alfred Leslie film that we're going to watch. So let's uh, go ahead and watch that. All right. So, we just watched The Last Clean Shirt. This one I do know about how it was um, first aired. Tell us. So, this was made in 1964, and it was first shown at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Cool. And then later that year at Lincoln Center in New York. Okay. And apparently uh, the audience reacted kind of... Crazily to it. Um, we saw that quote at the beginning of this. They have that quote of one person they who was at the first screen. They they and groaned
2: and eventually gave it a slow clap.
0: <laughs> and about right? Basically, <laughs> since since our viewers have not seen it, although you can go to Ubu web and we'll have a clip there.
2: Links in the bio.
0: You've got two people in a convertible car driving around Manhattan, right? a white woman and a black man, and she's just talking the whole time.
2: He just nods and appears to try to listen.
0: Well, yeah, so, in the full version, the first time she's talking, and it's some kind of gibberish, and a lot of things I read, it said it was Finnish gibberish. Uh, But you obviously can't get any meaning out of it. And the first time it just plays, and there's nothing explaining it. As they drive around Then it plays again But there's subtitles Which is the, the part we'll probably most talk about With Which is the part that Frank O'Hara wrote Was this dialogue for it And then the third time There's more of her talking But there's like interstitial parts Of the guy's thoughts about it But he never really speaks himself Right It's clearly
1: Okay This movie This flick Because it's 12 minutes long Or 13 minutes long Right it actually reminds me of, like, a lot of movies you see, like, in an art gallery projected these days, where there's just, like... Yeah?
0: Although, I just, think, like, better than many of them, but... No, but of course, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's the usual, yeah, new criticism, but, uh, but it's, mm-hmm. like, a cool, kind of, like, they just shot a movie, 12 minutes, they parked, you know, they got, they put a camera on a car, they drove it around New York, and, or wherever that is, and then, you know, um, and then, like, put this, like... Cut up like this, Frank O'Hara cut up thing that he did. You know, it's like it's very Dada in a certain way. Uh, but it's
0: also interesting, though. It makes it. It also makes it better that that's not how it was displayed. This was not just in some room in the gallery where you can go watch it and then when you're bored with it, walk away. People sat down in <laughs> a movie theater. <laughs> they played this thing three times in a row with the different versions of. This was a forty-minute thing with the three pieces put together. and I would people sat there and <laughs> watched it.
2: Yeah, yeah but I think that's part of the, the point. We only watched it once. So I would
1: see. be pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't watch the movie once and then, but I, but at the same time, I can see the intention behind actually doing that. You know?
2: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. No, for sure.
1: Like you know, now there's good. Well, yeah, yeah. I would
2: maybe skip the non-subtitled version and just have yeah. You could also, also interesting in this, as compared to the previous film we watched, uh, Pull My Daisy, this one had... The sound was recorded live in the car. You could kind of hear the, the city sounds as they drove by. With subtitles. And it seems like maybe filming in their car was slowing down and disturbing some people behind them because there was at least one <laughs> long scene of, honking, of a yeah. lot of honking <laughs> for about 20, 30 seconds in a row. And It's obviously also a deliberate choice to speak in not American or French or any other kind of popular language, or but to come up with some kind of new gibberish, I think probably, you know, designed not to be recognized. Yeah,
0: I think that is definitely the idea. Even I mean, I don't know if that's true about it being Finnish or not, although maybe, but regardless, yeah, I don't think you are meant to understand.
2: Well, from part that we watched at the, what would have been the third cycle with the driver's I guess, mental commentary and subtitles. I think I just saw, you know, one line just said yak, 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 yak. Pretty early on, I guess, as if to say, she's just blabbing.
0: Which is, yeah. And again, a totally different kind of aesthetic as far as the poetics are going on than than in Pull My Daisy, right? This is much more of this idea of there being poetry in the overheard, in the everyday... And even the things that are, you know, I mean, there are certainly things in this which is funny. Net watching now that you would consider slightly racist and slight <laughs> in the in the things that the woman is saying in this in this in this. Well, drive. she's not
1: saying anything. She's just being gibberish. Yeah, but it's she's
0: like just... it's like if you it is like gibberish, but it's like when you overhear. It's like if you sit in a coffee shop and overhear someone talking. It's like, you don't really understand what they're talking about, but there's plenty of things that kind of, like, mildly infuriate you the entire time. Sure, of course. You know? (laughs) It's kind of that sort of scenario. Yeah. Although it's even weirder, because she has an audience, and the guy is just not really interested in listening to what she's saying. Well, he's driving. But what is... So the part that's interesting, too, is, in the beginning, they get in the car, he takes an alarm clock, tapes it to the dashboard. Let's talk about the alarm clock. What is that about? I think, I yeah, think there's two things. You can only
2: take so much of our conversation.
0: <laughs> no,
1: I think there's two things. One, um, like uh, I think it's shot in real time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
2: No, no cuts that I yeah. remember.
1: No I I cuts. So, right? yeah. so it's a, it's a, it's a. I guess it's a. I guess you can call it a tracking shot.
2: Yeah. Well, they might have needed to know how much film, how long they had to shoot. Right, so it's just it's possible,
1: the, yeah. You know, they they, they just timed a it, practical. They, they uh, timed it out, did the math, knew that it was 13 minutes, whatever, on one one spool of film or whatever. And uh, so it's is it, so it, so. Is it a tracking shot? Well, tracking. Well, you wouldn't call that a tracking, tracking shot. Tracking is like one take, take, yeah. one yeah, a one take. Yeah, it's a shot. one take so shot. So yeah. I think it's one to do it in real time to show the maybe the um, the driver and the people in the show or the movie the people in the movie um, how much time they
0: have for the movie. Well, maybe, uh, but you wouldn't need that. I mean, the driver yeah. doesn't need to know that.
1: No, so why they do it? The, so the camera guy can know? Or, like, okay, everybody, we, we wouldn't know. The
0: I think, the it's, camera, camera.
2: Well, so they they think it's the MacGuffin. Well, they did, I mean, with the live sound, maybe they didn't want to have somebody yell cut. Or, you know what I mean? I don't know.
0: Maybe it's MacGuffin. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's just the thing that draws it forward. Maybe it's the thing that you, that you fix. But then it makes it kind of feel like some reference to a taxi or something, too. Yeah. Like, alright, like, this is some really ghetto taxi. I don't have a meter. Again, I'm gonna uh, just record this with an alarm clock at the time. Although it seems like they know each other, so that doesn't really make sense. But there, but there is like some kind of, at least in
2: some weird way, reference to a taxi or something, right? Yeah. I was reminded of Godard's Breathless again, for some reason. That's, I don't know that film incredibly well. Like I told you, I fell asleep the first time I saw it, but there's a similar shot in the car, I believe. I think...
0: Yeah. I, I, I agree. I think in this, I was thinking that, too. This, more more so to me, felt very godar Especially early Godar, like, that mm-hmm. kind of... I can see it.
2: Three for three. We're in agreement. <laughs>
0: um, and then... Yeah, and then you've got that strange part at the end of the second section, too. The second ride-through. What song? With... When they pass the church. And I think... The church bells are in part of the live audio, which maybe is the reason for doing that. And then they cut in the the audio of "Ashes to Ashes," mm. dust to dust. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of like slight death reference going on. And then the the song that plays at the end, the last clean shirt. Yep, it's about putting the last clean shirt on the brother who died.
2: Uh. Yeah.
0: Okay. But I don't exactly know, and I don't think we're meant to. I don't know how neatly that fits into anything. I think it's a little bit just like, let's put another thing in here that maybe has <coughs> some kind of resonance, but doesn't have a specific... Some other textural thing. Yeah. Um, but there is that kind of other little element that comes in. And I mean, I think it, it more is just kind of like a, a commentary on language in some to some extent. And I think this is I mean, obviously designed to be a confrontational piece, right? It was designed to piss off the audience to a certain extent.
1: Clearly. But not, but not, I mean, yeah, I guess so.
0: Right? I mean... We they didn't, didn't even have, watch like, the
2: long version of Makos. Calm down. They... Oh, all three,
0: yeah, all three, you mean?
2: Yeah. I mean, they had
0: about? to know that you're showing this, no matter what venue <laughs> you're showing this in, that people are going to be like, what the fuck is this, Right? Yep. But like but like
1: think about I'm just thinking about the experience of being in the audience. I would have done the same thing. I would have booed and clapped, like one hand clapping.
0: <laughs> A mocking golf clap. A mock yeah. I don't know. I think I would have probably been really annoyed in that first run through where there was no subtitles, but it probably would have won me over by the end of it. Oh, the first one with no subtitles. With in nothing. fact, I think when it restarted I probably would have found that amusing and laughed.
2: Hmm. Sure, yeah
0: You know But probably the first playthrough I would be pissed off You know, I'd be like What is this shit? Especially you if you couldn't Maybe gibberish. Especially
2: if you couldn't Really hear them well You know Yeah A lot of it would be lost Completely
1: And The sound is kind of muff- It's not like Really loud either
2: And you'd probably be Straining to hear it And it would ultimately Be gibberish Even if you could hear it so. It's muffled a little bit You know Kind of toying with the audience
0: And I think and and, well, and there's some other things that we should probably note. Like, I mean, they're driving around Manhattan, right? And I, I think particularly this is kind of the neighborhood that those New York school poets hung out in. This is like, they're going up 3rd Avenue turning on 34th and park on 34th and, par- 34th and park, which is like right this area where all that stuff's going on. Like the five spots over there. Yep. All that stuff. So... There, there's also, like, some, you know, if you were in the know of the writers and painters involved with this... You would know where they're... kind of know. They're yeah, out. and that's kind of what's going on. Even though the way that it's shot, you can't really see many, really, landmarks in the background. <laughs> but it is kind of an interesting view of New York City of that time period, too, right? It seems very... I mean... You get to see the old cars and all this stuff, but it seems very, like, the way the traffic is and the buses coming in and everything, it's kind of an interesting... Congested little downtown New York. Yeah. Glimpse. So, oh, I do have a quote from Alfred Leslie about it. So this is from a piece by R.C. Baker talking to him about it. And there uh, some of it's, like meant to be a little bit commentary on what is going on in the 1960s at the time. Uh, Leslie said, as the Vietnam War escalated, people saw an American soldier on TV firing an M-16 into a man's head while voiceovers told viewers something entirely different and the people believed it. He wanted the film to provoke the question, what the fuck is going on? Because to most people, reality is nothing more than a confirmation of their expectations. Okay. So, I mean, I guess that kind of speaks a little bit to the purposeful juxtaposition of the subtitles and not being able to understand. What, what those, are you like, paying no
1: attention p- to, right? Like, are you paying more attention to the subtitles? Or are you paying more attention to the filming? And, like, clearly the woman's not saying the things not that are in anything. the subtitles, right? I mean, talking. you could put
0: anything in the subtitles. Think about her, you her, know? her, like,
1: she's just talking and talking and talking, and she's saying all this stuff, but it's not really... Yeah, you could put anything in. I thought that, too. You could put anything in the subtitles, almost.
0: I mean, some things might be more interesting than others, but yeah, you really could but put that,
1: anything. Yeah, but that reminded me of, you know, that reminded me of, like, an art flick in a in the gallery, a, a little, little bit. bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly... But again, you know, this is probably earlier than a lot of those a lot of those things were. I mean, there there were, there were certainly other people experimenting with that idea, but this is probably earlier than a lot of that was. I like this a lot more than Pull My Daisy, honestly.
2: Yeah, I would agree.
0: Uh, I think, really? yeah. I think there are two
1: different types of movies, right? They are two different types of movies, but I like this one better. <laughs> I mean, one is definitely has a narrative, and this one doesn't really. I guess it has a narrative, but not really. One is a
0: narrative movie with sort of like you know I don't know one. I would say neither of them really have a narrative. I
1: mean, I don't but
0: know. I think Pull My, Pull my Daisy does. is playing with the idea of a narrative, where this is totally divorced from that idea.
1: It's totally divorced from the narrative.
0: I don't know what were you going to say about that, David? What do you like better about this one?
2: Oh, I just it's my kind of film. I kind of I kind of like things that either deal with cycles or, you know, especially long takes, one takes. So, just kind of more up my alley, personally.
0: I was also thinking, and I don't know if you if you really know this, how difficult would it have been, or was that an easy thing to do, to shoot from the back of a car like that at that time? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's got to be fixed, fixed tripod now?
2: Well, I mean, you know, usually when you're shooting somebody in a car, the car might be on a trailer. You know, really low trailer, but that looked like it was actually, you know, fixed onto the trunk yeah. of the back of the car somehow. Um, you know, it might have been... I couldn't really tell definitively, but it was, you know, it could have been 16 millimeter, which would allow for a not-too-large camera. So yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, that wouldn't have been too big But crazy. as far as
0: the stability...
2: Yeah, it was really smooth. Yeah, no, I was kind of wondering what that was like. That seems... <laughs> you know and sometimes i mean i don't know what the, so this was uh, and maybe they were
0: driving slow really slow it was hard to tell but still
2: mhm i mean i mean they obviously had a good you know way of mounting the car and they kind of toyed around with it at the end they had ending shots kind of from the, the parallel parking shot yeah which like was from the rear of, nice. of the bumper yeah it's kind of interesting so i don't know but yeah it was remarkably smooth for sure
0: Kudos to
2: the cinematographer and the crew.
0: (laughs) I don't know, and I do think, I mean, I do also like, I mean, you keep saying, Migos, that you make it, that it feels to you like the kind of, like, video art installations you see in a museum, and I agree with that to some extent, but the thing that I like better about this than a lot of these is it's less overt with what it's trying to do. I feel like a lot of times when you see those things in an art gallery, they're really overt with the message you're supposed to get out yeah, of it. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe. this is a little... leaves it a little more open. Open. It does. I it mean, I think that... I agree. You know, probably yeah. did have a message when you get out of it, but it's open enough that you, it's not hitting you over the head with it, in any rate. Um, as far... and I don't know. As an idea... Is it... I mean, all of these, both of these pieces, and any of these pieces like this, is interesting. They're collaborating with poets, right? And you're, I suppose, you know, kind of dealing in this sort of genre, whether you're collaborating with poets or not, where you're, you're trying to create these, these very contrived art pieces to some extent. Big time. But, you know, yeah, this is not something anyone would choose to watch as entertainment. On the other hand, I do think there's enough that's interesting there that certainly, at least the first time you watch them, they're interesting. I don't know if it's something you'd want to watch over and over again.
2: Uh, (laughs) Well, that kind of goes with the experience of going to a museum or a performance space, you know.
0: And I don't know, And 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 I do think... As far as far as what they're doing there's something other and I don't know like I think about I think about this one too I think about the last clean shirt kind of in comparison to warhol kind of pieces and I like it better than a lot of warhol pieces to be honest I think it is doing some similar things but really does a better job is more watchable and interesting in some yeah. ways if you think about those ideas of repetition and those ideas of just Language being separated from things, which he certainly plays with a lot in his little film pieces, too. It's pretty straight ahead. It's pretty, like, it's an art flick. And It's an experiment. And
2: I was sitting in a version where the guy was just backing up the whole time. Oh my god. Looking over his shoulder, going in reverse.
0: Yeah, right. but I think, you know, I think, you're right, it's very straight ahead, but I think, at least for the last clean shirt, that's very much the point, right? Totally. I think if you did too much variations, it would muddle where you're going for there. What do we think about it, Makos? This is more for you. I don't know that David's going to have to much saying this. As a Frank O'Hara collaboration. Oh,
1: I I, I don't know. I, I, Not really. I mean, Frank O'Hara could have just pulled... I mean, they're not Frank O'Hara-type things. I mean, kind I don't. of. a lot of them were, yeah. Uh, but, but, but... Yeah, but still, it's very random. Yeah, that, it is very random. It's I very suppose. random. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think, like, it doesn't really... Craig Heres voice doesn't really come through too much in it a little bit but. I think
0: it kind of does but I don't know if it matters though is the only thing I mean I I find it more amusing there's definitely lines that I laugh at in there but would it would it have made a difference if it was some someone who had something less interesting in the subtitles I'm not really sure I don't think have. it would have mattered that much would it have I don't know and I wonder how how involved he was with coming up with the concept or the movie or if he just kind of provided the text. It's not really clear to me. I don't seem to have any information on that, really. There's also a, one other thing we didn't kind of talk about. There is this kind of suggestion to some extent that this is like a same way that Pull My Daisy was kind of like playing with the, the melodrama of a... Of a typical Hollywood movie. Is this maybe a little bit of a like parody of a road movie in some ways?
2: Oh yeah, in the intro it mentions the thing about this being the first. <laughs> it's like, well you got two people
0: so. in a car, except nothing happens. Yep, right. nothing happens. They don't go anywhere. The clock even games, really. really <laughs> they 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 go a few blocks around and then park. Right. Which is kind of an interesting idea too. Uh yep.
2: Well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as good of a student as I should be at the cinema to tell you if that had happened before.
0: Yeah, I wonder.
2: In 69, I think it is, you get Easy Rider. Right?
0: Well, but you mentioned Breathless, and Breathless has some elements of that, too. There's a lot of the, like... Driving around,
2: at least. Yeah. But not a full-on but, road movie. But
0: there's still stuff happening. Although, Godard was definitely playing with that idea, too, right? You would have, like, heists, and you would have things, but you wouldn't really get to see the heist. You would just right. see them come back from Fling it. fleeing and it, aftermath. Right? <laughs> Which is, or like, or like Alphaville, and it's like this is a science fiction movie where it's set in present day Paris, and it's just you understand from the dialogue that this is a science fiction scenario, right? right? Uh, and there's some of that kind of thing going on too, where yeah, so I don't know, I wonder they must have had some, some of some good in mind I would think. Sure.
2: Right. Well, they got to be aware for sure. They're artists.
0: Well, I don't know. I I enjoy these. I definitely recommend checking them out. Um, yeah, for sure. And and I think as far as like seeing the development of some of those things, both poetically and film-wise, they're kind of interesting little stops, even if they're not the most influential things in the world. They had some influence, and in they're interesting little cul-de-sacs along the way, if nothing else.
1: Yeah, I find Beckett's films way cooler.
0: Well, I think they're very different, right? They're very different, though. Um, They're very different.
1: They're more surrealist and abstract.
0: And Beckett is interesting. Despite being a writer, language has very little to do with his films whatsoever. True. This is true. Uh, which is kind of an interesting thing.
1: So, Well, hey, can we close the thing out with the song? Do want a
2: clean shirt?
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Probably why not? All right. All right, well, this has been another episode of No Good Poetry. Uh... Anything else You want to say Keep Maybe? the world
1: Safer for poetry
2: Thanks okay. for having me on I enjoyed the films
1: Even though your food
0: Order got really botched mm. Mm. I don't think He wants that Recorded for posterity Yeah th-
2: <laughs> Well this This episode Is not brought to you By Uber Eats
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's fine with us